Welcome to Ion Franchising. Are you looking for business opportunities? Well, you are in the right place. We represent over 650 franchises and business opportunities. We will help you find your perfect franchise for free. We even have a free assessment on our website that will help us determine what the best business is for you based on your investment level, mindset, skill set, and life experiences. This is Ion Franchising, where we share our vision for your franchise future. I'm your host, Lance Growlick. Each week, we will speak to fascinating folks from the world of franchising, franchisors and founders, franchise funders, and franchisees. Are you looking to find your perfect franchise? Or perhaps you are an independent business owner looking to grow and scale your business by setting up a franchise. Either way, our team can help you. Ion Franchising, where you will learn the A to Zs of franchising. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another great episode of Ion Franchising. I'm your host, Lance Gralick, and today, yes, I have an incredibly special guest, a special, special guest today. So founded in 1960, this organization is not only the world's oldest, but largest organization representing franchising globally, globally. And this gentleman has been with this organization for 10 years. And not only that, he's been the president and CEO for the last year. Welcome to the show, Mr. Matt Haller. Thank you, Lance. Great to be here. Matt, it's so wonderful to have you here. So let's kick this off. Let's go back to your history. How did you get in franchising in the first place? Like a lot of people, it sort of found me at a moment in my career that I was looking to make a change. Now, didn't know much about franchising. I'm in Washington. My background is government and politics and advocacy work. And the IFA, uh, whose mission is to protect and promote and enhance franchising, a big part of that is advocacy work. We'll talk about some of those issues, I'm sure. They were looking for a communicator, kind of advocate, hybrid type person to come into the, the team. And that's exactly what I was interested in you know, doing and had background in doing. I just hadn't done it on behalf of this industry or this sector of the economy. So that's how it found me. Had a number of different positions uh, at the association over the decade so that I've been here. And you know, was fortunate to get an opportunity to lead the organization last year when our previous CEO, Robert Crisanti, left. So it's a great business model. Tell you that you've lived and breathed it from every corner <laughs> of the sector. But uh, I know part of your audience is people thinking about getting into franchising or how to make more of it. It's a, it's an easy job to represent in terms of the story and what we do for you know all sorts of all three legs of the stool as I as I like to call it franchise brands, franchisees, and and suppliers and even employees. And that's sometimes uh, a part of franchising that is is criticized by some for for not doing enough but we have a great story to tell and it's a it's my pleasure to be able to communicate that to people that don't always fully understand or appreciate what franchising does yeah well and and you hit one thing on the head we were I, I wanted to talk about like the mission of the IFA and you mentioned you know the kind of the three-legged stool if you will the the franchisor which is the parent company that's actually doing the franchising. And then you have the franchisees that buy into the franchise, and then as well as the, the suppliers or the, the third valuable leg of this stool, if you will. So, you know, it's all about protecting, enhancing, 
and promoting everything within the franchise world. So, you know, when you got into this, tell me more about what your thought process was like, you know, people think of franchising, they think of McDonald's. So, you know, there's a lot of small brands, there's a lot of large brands, and then there's now brands in what, 300 different categories? Yeah, I mean, there's really a franchise for almost everything. I think it touches people's lives six or seven times a day on average. So yeah, people tend to think about the restaurants and particularly the quick service restaurants. But you know, you're staying in a hotel on some business trip, you're likely staying in a franchise property, dropping your kids off at a after school, you know, daycare center, you know, that that could likely be a, a franchise. You, know, you got maybe your your parents are, you know, getting medical treatment or companionship service. A lot of those are are franchise. You know, you maybe have a gym membership, that's probably a franchise. You're getting a haircut once a month, you know, maybe you're popping into a franchise to do that. Your dog's getting walked while you're out at the office. Uh, that could be a franchise. I, there, there really are so many, you know, I could go on and on across the yeah. 300 uh, <laughs> sectors, but you know, some of what IFA does beyond just advocating and, and some of the lobbying work that we do is, is education and educating, you know, maybe the person that's got a business or an idea and thinks it's franchisable, you know, we'll teach you, you know, how to do that, how to, and how to not do it. Because there are sometimes people that get in this for the wrong reasons. They think, you know, we're just going to sell a bunch of locations and not build the right operational support to uh, support your ongoing franchisees, or maybe they'll hire, you know, the wrong type of uh, vendor that, you know, isn't what they need at that stage in the, in the franchise development process. So, you know, that's, that's a big part of what we do at the IFA. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a really dynamic and, you know, growing sector of the economy. You know, there's always new types of businesses being franchised in categories. You're like, oh, I know, why didn't I think of that, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, you, you, you brought up another great point, you know, growth in general. I mean, the numbers I have here is, you know, $780 billion worth of economic output, 8.2 million jobs, 3% of gross domestic product or uh, GDP, and 759,000 franchise establish, establishments, 759,000. Pretty incredible numbers. So we're talking even through the pandemic, uh, which hit in call it March of 2020, when I know a lot of my friends that were franchisors and franchisees that were panicking, like, what is going to happen now? Walk us through the pandemic. Yeah, the pandemic, in many ways, it, it reinforced kind of the whole point of franchising in, in my mind. Because when you become a franchisee or you become a franchisor, like really what you're buying, you know, beside, in, it, in lieu of going it kind of your own way is you're buying uh, a built-in support network, right? For, yeah. you know, marketing, operations, technology, you, you name it. Um, but in the pandemic, you had this situation where, you know, nobody knew what was going to happen next, you know, particularly that early period of time in, like, in March. Like when April. the shutdowns first happened, everybody right, was like, right. Like that wasn't that? in, there were no, there were no franchise agreements that dealt with, uh, or operations manuals that dealt with the government is not allowing your business to, you know, take in customers or, you know, even if you're a mobile business, like the government is not allowing you to go into somebody's home or business to perform your product or service. 
uh, let alone if a customer would actually invite you in to, to do that at, at a certain point. And so, you know, you, you had this support network that the brands were working with their franchisees to, to develop, you know, new ways of delivering their product or service or navigate some of the COVID and government relief programs that were out there, the ever-changing patchwork of rules. And so I think that's one of the reasons why, you know, as we've recovered from those shutdowns and the, the economy, you know, yeah, franchising was impacted and it was impacted in a, in, a, in a negative way, just like everyone else, but it's all relative to what, right? So if you look at, you know, non-franchise businesses, you know, operating a similar category, whether it's restaurants or gyms or salons or you name it, you know, they're all performing better than those non-franchise small businesses were. And I think that when I say the pandemic reinforced kind of the whole point of franchising, um, you know, you have that built-in support network. Um, you had people in the same situation that you were. You had brands who were ensuring that their franchisees could remain, you know, uh, profitable and in operation, relaxing, you know, fees or royalties and things like that to get to the other side of this um, and do it together. Yeah. I know quite a few franchisors that called their attorneys, called their CPAs and said, I'm hearing about this PPP money. We have to do something for our franchisees and help them. And they organized some of that for their uh, franchisees, which is pretty incredible because as you know, it was quite confusing. Who's going to get you, you know, the most money? Who's going to get you money at all? And there were quite a few independent businesses that were pretty stuck with nothing. And, uh, and maybe others that, took it selfishly that didn't necessarily need it. That's a whole other story, not for this show. But uh, <laughs> fran franchising in general was so supportive. I couldn't believe some of the things that I saw throughout the throughout the pandemic. So let's uh, let's talk a little bit more about today then. Let's let's kind of switch gears. Franchising certainly made it through the pandemic. I had so many home services brands, Matt, that just killed it during the pandemic, you know, where people were sitting at home during the lockdown, I'm like, I think I need to have my closet redone. I think I need uh, new flooring put in my house. And some of these brands have just had incredible uh, growth, not to mention my old uh, restaurant concept, Wingstop. I was a multi-unit franchisee of. Uh, people realize they don't have to go in the restaurant. You know, just more Uber Eats orders to the house, more digital online orders. They go and pick it up, et cetera, et cetera. So it was a pretty incredible thing to see uh, in action. Now, today with inflation and, you know, a pending recession, I mean, a recession last I looked, Matt, was defined as two consecutive quarters of negative GDP. And I, I, I think we'll probably be experiencing that second quarter GDP right about now. But how, how has franchising fared during uh, recessionary times? Yeah, it's it's a great question. It's always compared to what, right? So we will we will have you know more slower growth this year, probably next, given uh, given the inflationary impacts and and the likely recession. I think we're in a recession, you know, whether it's technically or not yet. But the, at the same time, you know, it depends where you are, right? In terms of you know what what sector you're in, you know, a lot of restaurants that are you know lower cost. You know, consumers will trade down, um, as they say, you know, into into some of these uh, these types of businesses. So that can actually, you know, be a good thing. You also, depending on the type of recession, like in 2009, you know, we saw a lot of people leaving leaving the workforce and going into franchising. So you know, new franchise business starts, 
were you know pretty good uh, coming out of that one. Now that was more of a credit uh, crunch. So right. access to capital was a real challenge in 2008, 2009, 10. We're not seeing that now. I mean, people have cash. Um, you know, you talk to the banks. Um, you know, they're ready to lend to to small businesses. I think the issue right now is kind of cost of goods and and labor, and the lead time from franchise, you know, lead to deal is really being extended out right now. And I think that is just be a result of, you know, the, the, the overall uncertainty of what's going to happen with the economy and the cost of, you know, if it's a build out in terms of a retail or a restaurant situation, you know, that is kind of kind of pushing things out a little bit right now. And so, you know, there are there are some 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 things in the economy right now that are that are a challenge, but uh, you know, franchising is is very resilient, and uh, we always overperform in terms of the broader um, economy. And I fully expect that we will see that, you know, whenever we get to the other side of this this period that we're in. You know, a lot of people are watching what the Fed is going to do uh, with interest rates. You know, I think the the biggest challenge in franchising is, you know, our our franchisors, especially those early stage franchisors that that need to do an ad unit growth, are they going to be more focused there or are they going to you know, really hunker down and ensure the profitability of their existing uh, franchisees? And I think that you know, it, often selling that next location can, can feel really good, but are you overextending your ability to support um, you know, who you have in your system today? And you know, that's, that's as if not more important because you know, a new franchisee, a smart one who's doing the right research is going to look at that profitability of those existing locations. And that profitability is really what, you know, lends itself to a, the long-term success of, of that franchise or system. So you, you bring up another great point, Matt, because what I preach to people on a regular basis and educate them on as a franchise broker is the fact that, you know, I'm going to find you your perfect business, whether you believe it or not. And, and, and most people don't believe it in the beginning. They think I'm crazy. It's like, how's this guy going to know this? And the reality is this franchise system, you know, with the FDD, knowing there's an item 19, knowing there's an earning, earnings claim that you get to investigate or go through, some of them quite simple and others have a lot more detail depending on many factors. But then you now have the ability to talk to existing franchisees and you hit on a lot of important things that can give people great comfort knowing when you talk to existing franchisees and validate with the brand, you know, especially let's say the pandemic, because now we've just come through a pandemic. Thankfully, uh, I think it was just announced yesterday that there's no longer any COVID testing for people coming into the country. I think that just stopped yesterday. So yep. clearly there are big changes. So with the validation. So tell me how you were treated as a franchisee during the pandemic. What did the brand do for you? Did you, you know, did it exceed your expectations, et cetera? So you and I both know that the system for franchising is set up as good as possible to bring people the information they need so they can make a, you know, draw a conclusion that, hey, I think this brand is for me. I think this brand or not and I'm going to move on and look at another brand. What do you What do you say to that? You know, when people are talking about, I mean, there's not really a mystery in a lot of cases with existing franchise brands. Yeah, I mean, this, the franchise disclosure document it really is you know a great tool, but it requires you know you to go through it as an individual and hire counsel, <laughs> you know, to go through it. 
on your behalf, right? Like don't take the fran don't take the franchisor's word for it. Like their job yes. is is to do the sale, kind of like buying a home or a car. If somebody's trying to sell you something too hard, you know, it if it doesn't feel right, like, you know, there's ask the question. And if you don't yeah. want to go through that process, you know, maybe franchising is not right for you. Uh, because you're entering into, in most cases, you know, a 10-year relationship over the term of that agreement and hopefully longer, right? If things go well, or maybe you're going to add, you know, additional units with that same system if you're interested in becoming a multi-unit or location owner. And a lot of these platforms now have multiple brands. So uh, there's a lot there. It's it's kind of like life. Like it's what you make out of it. It's the questions you're asking on the front end to really, you know, get the information. and and so, yeah, the FPD and the government has, you know, done a good job of, you know, finding the right balance between, you know, what they require brands to do and what they, you know, what they, what they make optional. Um, you know, you mentioned the item 19, which is the earnings claim. Uh, you know, that's not a required disclosure um, for a brand, but it's increasingly becoming that in, in the course of, of going through, you know, the franchise sales process, if a brand doesn't have an item 19, like that should immediately be a question that you're asking the brand why, um, or asking your advisor why. Now, if it's an early, super early stage brand, it could be a misleading earnings claim if they have one or two locations. And so there's inherently more risk with a brand that you're going to franchise with than, you know, something with like a wing stop with a, you know, incredibly proven track record of thousands of locations over, you know, 20 plus years now. And so that, you know, it is risky, but it's all about, there's information there that you would not get with other types of investments. So. Uh, so let's, uh, let's talk more about, let's, let's, let's call it misconceptions about <laughs> the franchise industry, you know, validation and having an item 19 or earnings claim to look at is always a wonderful thing. Doing research with tons of franchisees, like a brand like Wingstop that we use as an example, but what, you know, there's a lot of misconceptions, you know, about franchising costs so much. There's fees and you have to be a millionaire to own one and, um, you know, things like that. So what, what do you say to that? What is the IFA doing on the educational process? I know there's a lot that you guys do on a regular basis. Yeah, well, from a purely like, what are the fees or what are the costs? Like, again, back to the FDD, right? It's all disclosed. So, and if it's not, then, you know, that's, that's another problem. That, that's another problem, right? Like then that, then the brand, you know, needs to be, you know, held accountable to that. But in terms of misperceptions, just generally, like if you're, you know, even before you're talking maybe to one specific brand, you know, there's a misperception that it is, you know, only, you know, millions of dollars of, of, of net worth that I need to go into a franchise. It's not the case. I mean, there can be, you know, franchise investments for the low five figures that now that may be you know, something that is more part-time, you know, maybe not, uh, maybe not quite a, a business opportunity per se, but a, or a biz op as it's thrown around, but, uh, you know, you could be buying into a mobile franchise, you know, something that's part-time, you know, all the way up to some of these uh, commercial residential services franchises, you know, can be in the low, you know, six figures in, in terms of investment to own a, a territory, uh, you know, selling a product or, uh, or a service. So there, there really is a, a range of investments. Obviously, the restaurant industry and the hotel industry are much more, you know, sophisticated in most cases in terms of the type of investor that those brands are are really looking for. And you know, the restaurant business, you know, is really tough, right? Like margins are very small on a 
on a per box, you know, per unit location. So it, it, typically to really, you know, build equity, uh, you want to be in multiple locations, um, you know, or at least get there over time. And so, so that's kind of on the, on the investment side, misperceptions on the policymaker side, like we can go there if you want to go there a little bit. Uh, sure. Some, sometimes, you know, there's the perception that, you know, the brand is really controlling, you know, the business, right? And that, you know, franchisees are, you know, effectively just, you know, glorified middle managers, you know, who are just sort of taking orders from, from the franchisor and it's not really their business. I mean, you were a Wingstop franchisee. I probably count um, on zero fingers how many times Wingstop told you, you know, what to pay your employees, who to hire, you know, how to how to do this. Now there's a playbook. There's a there's you know hundreds of other people running that same business that you can talk to and bounce, you know, ideas off of. But you know your market. You know who uh, who you're employing. That is you know sometimes a misperception that that is out there. You know the other the other misperception is that that these are big, big, only big brands. And we touched on this earlier in terms of the full range of types of, uh, types of businesses that are, that are out there, not just in the restaurant world, but, you know, commercial services, residential business to business services, uh, real estate. Uh, so there, there's a ton, uh, in franchising, you know, I, I, I guess one more that, that we deal with is, you know, that franchising, you know, is really not diverse and isn't doing, you know, enough to promote uh, diversity. Uh, in fact, franchising has double the number of uh, women and immigrants and minorities as business owners, as the broader uh, small business uh, ecosystem. So, oh, yeah. you know, we really do have a, have a great story to tell on, on that front too. You know, franchisees, they're kind of the, the, these like hidden small business owners, you know, all throughout the economy. And I think that is sometimes because of, you know, the brand itself, you know, is really what the consumer is looking for. They're not necessarily patronizing, you know, Lance's Wingstop because, because they know Lance. They're going there because right. of, you know, the convenience, like the quality and, you know, the product, right? And so I do think that as the business model has grown and evolved over, you know, many decades uh, it, it continu and continues to, you know, it has lost the like local ownership piece of it sometimes gets overlooked by we're kind of a victim of our own success uh, in franchising in that regard. People always tend to forget that it's like, oh, it's a big company like McDonald's. It's a local owner. In pretty much all cases, I mean, there are some out of town owners, but in most cases, it's a it's local ownership. <laughs> People chose to do it in a certain area of Kansas because that's their hometown, right? Right. And, and we've got launched a campaign at the IFA called Open for Opportunity, which is all about educating, you know, really media and influencers, whether it's members of Congress, state elected people, other kinds of business organizations in communities that we've identified as, you know, politically important to some of the work that we're doing around the country about exactly that, yeah. um, what franchising does for the workforce, what kinds of corporate uh, local charities, uh, these local corporations or local franchisees, you know, support, you know, you, you're never going to, you're never going to own the brand um, if you're working, you know, at a, at a Chipotle, but you know, if you're, if you're working at a Moe's Southwest grill, like you could own that business. Right. right? And, and telling that story and reminding people that these are local businesses is really, really important in the franchise model.
Yeah. And I, I always get the other misconception I always get is, uh, well, I don't want to just buy a job. And I always kid people about that as well. It's like, well, you know, you, uh, you get to leverage your money with usually an SBA loan. You, uh, you definitely work hard for a period of time until you put a team in place. And then you have the opportunity to sell or exit at a really nice multiple because franchising has, you know, that, that's a scenario in franchising. There's a great secondary market to be able to sell your business. So uh, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, you know, it's another nice benefit. Yeah, it really is. Uh, and like the people who who think that way are probably not the people that, you know, you're probably, those are the, probably the people in your broker business that you're having to do maybe more work than uh, <laughs> yep, yep. the while. And, you know, maybe the brands need, need not be looking at some of those people that have those, some of those misperceptions. Now they are over, you do have the ability to overcome that. Uh, yeah. But yeah, again, on the on the secondary market and and the transaction piece, I mean, there's a lot of that going on right now. Just you know, not not any different than everybody in in the workforce thinking about you know their next thing. So we have a lot of people coming in, a lot of people that are in buying locations of people that you know have gotten a really nice career and built some equity, and you know maybe want to get out. Maybe they're not going to pass it on to their kids, or their kids want to do something different. And again, back to the, the FDD and some of the other financial information that, that's available um, in the franchise model, more so than, you know, some, you know, traditionally, you know, pure independent business, there's information about, you know, how these, these locations are doing um, from a financial performance perspective in most cases. And so, you know, you can really kind of uh, situation plan uh, or financial plan yourself, uh, you know, over, over a long period of time. Yeah, the information's out there if you wanna uh, if you wanna see it. <laughs> I mean, that's basically yeah. what it comes down to. Exactly. You know, working with a broker like myself and my friends, I mean, we we always recommend using a franchise attorney. Um, some people do take us up on that. Some people don't, and it's different from a a regular attorney. I want to hit Matt on. You were talking about diversity uh, a little bit earlier, and one of the things that some people don't even realize uh, is veterans. Yeah. I mean, last I looked, the last stat was 14% of franchisees, if I remember correctly. That 14%. is exactly what, yeah, according to the most recent government data, it's probably higher because it is actually some, sometimes veterans don't self-report that they are um, when they do this government reporting on the, on the small business census. And, you know, if you think about the following the playbook of uh, a franchise in terms of skill, it's very similar to you know, a team-based approach that is, uh, is very um, well taught in, in the military. And so the skills are very transferable. Um, we've also, for 30 plus years now at the IFA, had a program called VetFran. Uh, right. And VetFran it has about 600 brand uh, members of ours uh, who have discounts off initial franchise fees for qualified veterans. So, you know, 10, 20, sometimes 50% off of that initial franchise fee that could be you know, upwards of $50,000 in some cases, you know, a not insignificant um, discount because brands know that if they can recruit the right vet into the system, they're going to be some of their highest performers. So they're not worried about giving that up on the front end. And veterans also face greater access to capital and financial challenges given, you know, they've been in the military, often a lot of transition with their um, spouses uh, and families. So you know, it's a great program, something we're really proud of. And we've been talking about that story 
Yeah, really this year as the 30th anniversary, so you can check out vetfran.org for more information about the IFA VetFran program, if that's of interest. I love it. That's fantastic. Uh, let's talk about the changing uh, times with technology and how that's in, impacted. You know, when I think of franchising, I've been in it a long time myself. You know, I, I want to know your opinion besides technology, and we can talk about technology. That's made a heck of a difference, you know, with a, a lot of brands and how they're selling and getting in touch with people. And not only that, just managing the the process with learning management systems and I mean, everything across the board. So what, what are your thoughts on the, the changing times, if you will? Yeah, I, I mean, COVID accelerated a lot of this and you know, probably for, for the good in most cases. So whether it's the franchise development side of things where you know, brands used to host things called discovery days where they'd fly you know, 20 franchisees that are you know, interested in the system you know, into their corporate headquarters or some other you know, site and all the corporate team would be there and you'd meet and greet people. And there's still brands that are doing that. And, you know, I'm still a huge fan of face-to-face interaction, but, you know, maybe whittling that list down a little bit further through, you know, virtual discovery days, like that's something we're seeing. There's a huge amount of technology that goes into the franchise lead development um, process. You know, I was a couple of weeks ago at the International Franchise Expo in New York City, and, you know, expos are still you know, a, 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 a good source of uh, talking to early prospects or meeting with somebody that's later in the system. But most brands are spending more than 50% of their franchise development budget on digital and, you know, meeting people where they are, you know, on, you know, something like this, right, where you may be getting served an ad, you know, watching videos and, you know, filling out lead forms online. And then, you know, on the customer side, uh, you mentioned, you know, Wingstop and some of the impact during COVID. But it's not just the restaurant industry with with mobile delivery. I mean, all the commercial and residential platforms are heavily investing in a better customer experience for people that are constantly on the go and are dealing with a barrage of information um, being thrown at them all day, every day. So I think as you're investigating a franchise system, like asking those questions, like how is your brand you know, dealing with the digital evolution and what are the things that you're investing in that are going to help me as a potential franchisee become profitable and find and keep customers. So uh, there's, it, it's really dynamic and, and there's a ton going on. We do a ton at the IFA and our, uh, and our events to teach franchisors, you know, best practices and, you know, information share. Uh, the next industry conference I'll be at next week in Atlanta is a, a customer experience conference that we're putting on with a group called Franchise Update Media. And it's the intersection of technology and marketing and operations, which are three of the five or six disciplines that every uh, franchisor has, uh, you know, on their senior leadership team. Sounds wonderful. Um, yeah, th- there's no doubt when people are paying their franchise fee, some people really have to be educated on, well, well, why do I pay that fee? And a lot of what you just mentioned, there are some brands spending an absolute fortune on not only technology, but proprietary systems that, you know, they, they hope to recoup a little bit of that when they, when they uh, charge a franchise fee. I mean, is that, is that the purpose of a franchise fee? Does anybody have that out there in writing anywhere? What is the purpose of a franchise fee? I mean, it's a great question. If, some, if it's not, you know, really out there, it probably should be uh, in, in, in a more, you know, sort of simplified version. We get... <laughs> We use industry speak a lot, right, in, in franchising, but uh, that that would be a good a good piece to have, you know, out there and, and 
educate the prospective franchisee in layman's terms. Why am I spending twenty-five or fifty thousand dollars, you know, before I'm even open, beyond what I have to spend to like do the build out? And and the reality is, it's to make sure that the brand has the the resources financially to set you up for success and and ensure that success over the long term, not just. It's not just we got to get your doors open and 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 you know okay now you're doing it all yourself right it's really is a win-win and that that fee is to help create the win-win now we talked about earlier you know not every franchisor is created equal and you know asking those types of questions you know in the in the courting phase the dating phase is really important <laughs> I love the dating phase exactly no I I also uh, educate people on the fact that. You know, if you were going to do a business, not a franchise, you're going to create your own. Most people don't have an original idea that needs to be born. But if you did, you're going to have to hire quite a few people um, to match the experience and the proven history of a good franchise. And you're going to be spending the money anyway, and in some cases, even more so. So uh, you're getting a deal when you're paying a franchise fee for that experience. If you've investigated right, and uh, hopefully you work with a broker, but that's another story. <laughs> so what do you see in the future? I mean, look, if you look at the growth trajectory of franchising, even through the pandemic, um, there was probably, I mean, you know, I mean, was there still growth through the pandemic? If you look at the history, it still seems to be pretty straight up as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I think that will continue. I, I think the thing that we're seeing the most in terms of trends right now is is consolidation, you know, both, you know, probably for, for your audience, it's more consolidation at the, at the brand level um, into what, you know, being sort of brands being bundled into so-called platform companies. So it could be, you know, five, it could be 10, it could be 30, you know, in, in some cases. And that's, that's a, that's a, a big trend and something, you know, that, that I think is a net positive for the industry because, you know, a franchise or infrastructure is very similar, you know, from brand to brand, especially in the same, you know, sector, restaurant, commercial or residential service, you know, hospitality, and that creates economy of scale and opportunities for, you know, customer acquisition and, and experience across that, that platform. So, you know, I think that for, for, for a lot of, uh, a lot of reasons, prospective franchisees, existing franchisees, you know, is, is, is a trend that we're going to continue to see. Um, you know, there is consolidation and, and, you know, more kind of outside money happening at the, at the franchisee level, more so on the, on the restaurant hospitality um, and to a degree on some of the, the, the retail concepts, the non-food retail with private equity and, you know, venture capital money kind of making its way into, uh, into the business model. You know, that's something I worry about because as we were talking about earlier, Lance, the, you know, it is a it is a business model that is all about you know small business ownership and you know opportunity for people uh, of you know lesser means to get into franchising and who may not be able to go into business for themselves or have their own unique idea. And so you know I do worry about that a little bit in terms of what the future of franchising is. But there's still a lot of individuals that have you know built you know great wealth um, and opportunity, and I think that will continue for for some time. Yeah, and the way I see it is private equity always goes where the money is. So in, in many instances, it's a big compliment that they love yeah. to get involved in the world of franchising. 
And, you know, the fact of the matter is that I think, I think there are ways to see the positive in it. There are still mom and pops every day. I'm talking to uh, uh, two founders of a barbecue chain and we're setting up for franchising and, you know, their hope and wish one day is they'll get bought out by private equity. Well, why not? You worked really, really hard. Why not right. plan for a, a great exit? <laughs> yeah, I mean, private equity has its own set of misperceptions. I'm not saying that it's a bad yeah, no. vehicle. Um, it's just the, what I worry about is the ability for us to tell our story changes when it's, right. when when franchisee locations are are owned by by private capital, um, yep. you know, not truly you know locally owned and operated. And so, you know, that that to a degree is totally. I that, totally that, understand that. In most yeah. cases. You know, uh, it, it is sometimes hard for the private equity guys to do that. They yeah. rather buy the brand and manage yeah. the executive team. <laughs> well, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so tell me, well, and, and then sell for their 10 multiple, which has been the history, right? <laughs> so tell me, uh, what do we miss today, Matt? I mean, we covered quite a few things. Uh, what, do, what do we miss? What's What does the future hold? What do you see once we get past this inflation, which we're... Uh, uh, in the midst of, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, I think the future is bright. Um, I, I think you know the the business model uh, continues to to evolve, and and uh, you know I think what what we need to focus on, you know, at the IFA and people that are already in franchising is keep our house in order, right? Franchising is pretty simple when you know franchisees are making money, franchisors are making money. And you know, having the right suppliers um, enables the business model to continue to to grow without you know outside disruption. You know, which is you know something that will always be a threat because, as you say, you know, follow the money, right? You know, so where where you know private equity firms are you know putting money, it's because they see a return on investment. You know, things that are are going to continue to be a threat to our business model are things like organized labor sees us as a as a growth opportunity. You know, they want to change policies for their for their benefit. That's something that we've been fighting at uh, the federal level. We're fighting it right now in the state That's of California. That's pretty much number one on the list, probably, right? It is number one on the list. It will probably be number one on the list until the Service Employees International Union says, you know, you know what, this this fight is not worth having because we can't prevail. And it's our job to make sure that, that, that they can't do that because, you know, if we don't have a separation between franchisor and franchisee, we don't have franchising. And, right. you know, that is the, the unique special thoughts that makes franchising work is, you know, brands go find people who can operate in local communities and perform better than they believe they can perform, you know, owning these locations themselves. Just, just using somebody else's system. That's it. You know, there's yeah. nothing, uh, you know, leave franchising alone, for God's sakes. <laughs> <laughs> Amen to that, Lance. (laughs) (laughs) So final thoughts for you today, Mr. Matt Haller. Look, uh, franchising can take you anywhere you want to go in your journey. Like there's, there's a, there's something for everybody. You know, maybe you want to, maybe you've got a concept you think it's franchisable. Maybe you want to become a franchisee to work with a great broker network, or you're somebody that's interested in technology or law or marketing or sales. You know, there's all sorts of roles, whether it's, you know, at a brand or, you know, as a supplier. And so, you know, you can start your journey all sorts of places. I'll put a shameless plug in for starting it, you know, through the IFA and franchise.org is a great place to poke around and 
learn a little bit more about what we do and who our members are and some of those stories that are out there. So I appreciate the time to share you know, my story in franchising and some of what we're working on at the IFA and appreciate the opportunity to be with you, Lance. My pleasure, Matt. Thank you so much. And I uh, look forward to meeting you live soon enough. Sounds great. Take care. Bye now. Thank you very much for listening today. Please like, follow, and subscribe so you don't miss anything here at Ion Franchising. Visit our website at ionfranchising.com, E-Y-E-O-N franchising.com, and complete our free assessment so we can assist you in finding your perfect franchise. This is Lance Gralick. Until next time.